Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, September 9th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from the Sarah Abbott Studios is Sarah Abbott. Taylor Schwink is working from the Schwink Studios in the foothills of Connecticut. And I'm Buster only working from my home in Montana. Guys, uh, as we tape the top of the show here today, we've already spoken with Michael Kay of the Yes Network. Uh, and I intended to have him on to talk to him about the Yankee slide and, you know, what's going to happen with Aaron Judge's uh, contract negotiations. And, and we did get to that, but a really fascinating, interesting conversation about working with Alex Rodriguez and the K-Rod. But uh, I, I thought the most compelling stuff was talking to him about Derek Jeter and the doc and our perception of Derek is being really angry mm-hmm. during the course of that documentary. What would you guys think? Yeah, that was fascinating stuff. I really appreciate him coming on and, and being super candid about it because you never know, like with broadcasters who I got to work with, you know, he worked with Jeter daily for years. Like, I, I don't know how friendly they are, but he really was very honest. You know, he wasn't attacking anyone, but it, it was really cool to hear both of your perspectives living that sort of life and, you know, talking about what, what you saw and how it was different, how it was similar is very cool. Sarah, we got to play amateur psychiatrist in that in our conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool to hear. And again, like Taylor was saying, it was really refreshing, just the honesty and having you two swap stories. It was really awesome. Uh, maybe you should consider asking questions for a living. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that. we're going to be talking with Carl Ravitch about a new set of rules that are going to be voted on today by baseball's competition committee. And we got a lot of questions, a lot of thoughts about those. Let's run through them real quickly at the top of the show. 15-second pitch clock with bases empty and a 20-second clock with runners on. Uh, pitchers will be allowed two disengagements from the rubber, including pickoff attempts per plate appearance. They're going to be required. There's going to be a requirement uh, for hitters to be in the batter's box and quote unquote alert with eight seconds to go on the clock. Uh, infielders will not be able to position themselves in the outfield grass before the pitch is thrown. Only two infielders will be allowed on each side of second base with all four required to be on the dirt. Uh, This has exploded on social media as fans react to this, and you're going to be hearing Carl Ravitch's reaction to it coming up. Yesterday, Adam Wainwright of the St. Louis Cardinals combined with Yadier Molina for their 324th career start together, and that was in a game against the Washington Nationals. That tied the record set by Detroit's Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehan from 1963 to 1975. But generally speaking, the day did not go well. Now the 0-1 of the way. Swing and a long drive by Cole. This is way back. Dickerson to the warning track, to the wall, and it is gone goodbye. Alex Cole with a three-run home run, breaking this game wide open here in the top of the ninth inning. It is now a four-hit game for him with two singles, a two-run double, and a three-run home run. What a day for Alex Cole as the Nationals pour it on. It's now Washington 11 and St. Louis 4. That was Charlie Slows on the Nationals radio network with that call. Yeah, final score 11-6 Washington. Wainwright allowed nine hits and four runs over five innings. Since our last podcast, radio host Doug Gottlieb put out a statement admitting he made a false claim on the Freddie Freeman contract talks with the Braves. Gottlieb tweeted on June 29th that Casey Close, who was representing Freddie Freeman in the negotiation with the Braves, 
Never told Freddie about the Braves' final offer. Uh, the statement from Gottlieb, upon further vetting of my sources, a review of the lawsuit filed against me in this matter and direct conversation with Casey himself, I have learned that the contact I alleged did not occur and there is no credible basis for stating that it did. I'm glad Doug got to talk to Casey Close because I would love to have him on and ask him a simple question. How is it that Freddie Freeman wound up signing his second choice, the Dodgers, instead of the Braves, for less money for more years? That question remains unanswered from Casey Close. The Brewers are fighting for their playoff lives, and Corbin Burns was the man. 3-2 pitch. Struck him out. Went to the curveball. Blocked by Narvaez. Peterson gives himself up. That's the 14th strikeout for Burns. That from 620 WTMJ. The Brewers win that game 2-1. to one. They also won game two of the doubleheader. But along the way, Freddie Peralta had to depart after just two innings because of shoulder fatigue. After Milwaukee's doubleheader sweep, they are 73-65 and 65 and two and a half games behind the Phillies for the third wild card spot in the National League. The Padres hold the second wild card spot currently, a half game ahead of Philly, which lost on Thursday. This was the pivot point in the game in the ninth inning. That one gets under the glove of Hoskins. Down the line, here comes De La Cruz, and he's going to score. Marlins tie it as Wendell gets to second. And there it was. It was quick and easy, and that's Wendell playing team ball, getting the guy over to third. That's what the thought process was. It's going to be a ground ball. It, it was. It's an error, I believe, on first base of Hoskins, who does just tries to go up and get it for some reason rather than staying back. There wasn't going to be any play there. The Marlins win the game 6-5. to five. The injury-riddled New York Yankees place infielder D.J. LeMahieu on the 10-day injured list with inflammation of his right second toe. LeMahieu had been dealing with the injury for several weeks but managed to play through the discomfort until recently, missing the first three games of New York series against Minnesota. Yankees manager Aaron Boone believes the issue really began to impact LeMahieu during a three-game set at Boston from August 12th to 14th. So because of all the injuries the Yankees have, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa batted cleanup for the Yankees on Thursday. It was 2-2. The score tied top of the eighth inning. Carlos Correa at the plate. The 1-2 pitch. A fly ball left field and deep. Back it goes. Deep it goes. And gone. Carlos Correa, there's his signature moment. Biggest swing as a twin. A go-ahead eighth inning two-run homer. And the Twins take a 4-2 lead. It was Corey Provis on the Treasure Island Baseball Network. The Twins win 4-3. to three. So the Yankees slide continues. The standings as of this morning, they've got a three-game lead in the loss column in the American League East. Taylor, what else you got? Dun, dun, dun. The Rays come to town, too. Very excited to watch some of those games over the weekend. Uh, a couple things to note. It is, this is a baseball podcast, but it is officially a full-on football Friday. And in that vein, ESPN is partnering with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions for Kyle Brandt's basement, led by NFL Network's Good Morning Football host Kyle Brandt. The Sunday through Thursday show explores the ins and outs of the NFL with lively guest interviews, uh, fun segments, all of that. Uh, but particularly with Kyle Brandt's basement, Tuesdays, he's going to have Josh Allen on. Ever heard of him? Buffalo Bills quarterback. Uh, <laughs> that should be a lot of fun. So check out Kyle Brandt's basement, the college football podcast, the pick show is live, Stanford, Stephen the Bear, the Mina Kime show, Dominique Foxworks show, fantasy focus football, football Friday, everyone. Lots of pods to listen to. Check them all out wherever you're listening to this show right now. 
For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Rabbit. Carl Rabbit, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. And this week, Sunday Night Baseball will be in Wrigley Field. We've got the Chicago Cubs playing host of the San Francisco Giants. And, Carl, we got a lot of bells and whistles in our broadcast. We need a lot of bells and whistles in our broadcast. We we recognize that there's a, there's a big elephant in the room, if not two of them. One's named Tom Brady, the other's named the Dallas Cowboys. So, yeah, we're, we're going to try to throw some bells and whistles and see if that, uh, that can draw some baseball fans in. Uh, but this is a week in which there's a lot to talk about beyond the Cubs and Giants, neither of whom are very good, and the Giants were just swept yesterday in a doubleheader. Um, but I think the baseball fan will will be delighted by some of the people that are going to join us, including Joe Madden, the former manager of the Cubs, uh, who you know has been pretty outspoken about analytics in the game and and sort of the over dependence on them. So he, he'd be an interesting guest. Not to mention the fact that you know he was, of course, the manager of the World Series winning Cubs uh, in '16. So he, he's going to be great. We're going to have, I hope, Bobby Valentine joining us to talk about. Uh, about the horrible events of 9-11 and then the subsequent activities around baseball and the country as it dealt with the aftermath of, you know, what, what I would certainly term as the, as the darkest day in the history that I've been alive, and it's now 57 years for me personally, uh, and how they dealt with that. Uh, to go along with all the conversations about Judge and Pujols and races, et cetera. So I think if you're into baseball, you know, and Brady and the Cowboys give you a break, flip us on. I think there's a lot of interesting things that are going to happen Sunday night. Yeah, and we're going to explain why it is that the Giants uh, might be heavily involved with Aaron Judge in the offseason. We'll talk about a prominent free agent who could be with the Cubs next year, and he's actually a member of the Cubs now, Wilson Contreras. But a lot of uh, parameter, a lot of context developing that Contreras might be going back to the Cubs. So a lot of baseball conversation during the course of the evening. And I'm sure, Carl, we're going to be talking about these rule changes that will be voted on later today. You and I are talking at about 8.30 Eastern time on Friday. Uh, later today, the Rules Committee will vote on these. The expectation is these rules will be passed. And I want to go through them one by one and, and get your assessment of that. Does that sound okay? That sounds great to me. And I hear they will be enacted. I mean, this is, this is a... This is a group now that is dominated by, or at least has a majority of folks from Major League Baseball versus players. Um, they don't put something forward unless they know it's going to get through. I think it's been well thought out, having read them, and now about to discuss them all, that they believe this is the direction the game needs to be taken. So I think regardless of what you and I say, they're coming. Baseball is going to look very different 
and feel very different next year. A 15-second pitch clock with the bases empty and a 20-second clock with runners on. Uh, let's fast forward. There are going to be players who complain about this. And you know what, Carl? They're going to get over it, and then the game is going to be sped up, which is the primary goal of all of this. Look, anybody that has been to baseball games um, and seen games that were pitched by Mark Burley at some point, uh, Adam Wainwright currently, anybody that gets the baseball and throws the baseball, and there are a lot of guys, thankfully, that, that do just that. I haven't met the person who said, wow, that was too quick for me. I've never met that person. So a pitch clock to me is is just the, the, the literal – in, input, 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 I should say, of what we've all watched and said, God, that was great. The pace of that was just wonderful. Of course they're going to complain about it. That's human nature, and yes, they will get over it. We'll have a bumpy period, but whether it's uh, Buck Walter, Aaron Boone, anybody else that has been involved in the game on any side of it, player, manager, broadcaster, recognize the pace is critical to the joy of the fan that is watching, let alone the interest of the player on the field. I mean, how many times have you heard a player say, oh, God, it's just brutal, or I'm free to talk in right field because I don't get any action. Um, pace is huge. This is, a, this is probably, to me, the biggest no-brainer of all of the rules. Yep. Uh, there is, of course, attached to this, a requirement uh, for hitters to be in the batter's box and alert with eight seconds to go on the clock, hitters are allowed one timeout per play to parents. So, Carl, that means that our old friend and someone we admire greatly, Dustin Pedroia, with all the adjustments of his glove he used to do, that's not something we're going to see going forward. No, I, you know, it's funny. We're all focused on, on Aaron Judge, and if you watch Aaron Judge during an at-bat, rarely does he does he move, let alone step out. Ball one, he kind of stands in the same position. He'll he'll move his bat a couple of times, and we're ready to go. Stanton's another guy. I mean, they they will step out, but they do it. It seems far less frequently than everybody else. Yeah, and all those all those um, you know machinations of hitters and banging on the spikes and fixing the gloves and adjusting the helmet, etc. They're they're gonna have to go away. Um, you, you know, I I will say this, Bussy, you brought up. The, the nuance of all of these rules, and when you read them all, and I'm sure most people who are really in love with the game have read through them, in a lot of ways I understand that you have to uh, explicitly define exactly what it is that we're trying to accomplish and penalties associated with certain things, but it does feel like you you kind of clog up the the message with all of these other things and again, I understand it because you need it written in black and white so there's no misinterpretation. But boy, when you go through them and you get into sort of, uh, you know, rule number four, A, B, C, D, D is like, oh, my God. Like, we, wow, we had, to, we had to include that in this. Ultimately, we're trying to improve the pace. Get in there. If you're not in there, it's a strike. If you are in there or the pitcher is taking too long, it's a ball. Uh, you know, it, we're we're – complicating what should be very simple, and I understand why they have to do that. But don't get bogged down in the sense, to me, in all of those things, because eventually it becomes very simple how we're going to proceed. 
Yeah, and I just want to you know put in the the usual disclaimer that we should when we uh, we talk about rule changes that are going to be enacted by Major League Baseball. You and I work for a company that is in a part broadcast partnership with Major League Baseball, uh, and, and so there would be some fans who might theorize, hey, you know, Buster and Carl are for these rules, these rule changes because of that relationship. No, you and I are baseball fans, and what we've seen happen with the game. Uh, from the time we started becoming fans is to see the time of game go from two hours and 30 minutes to in the postseason, four hours. And, and I can tell you this, you know, publicly, no one is going to come out hard who works in a front office and say, boy, our product is terrible. But boy, Carl, you and I hear that all the time. And a lot of this is designed to make it a better television product. Well, yes. I mean, no doubt about it. Television, enter, to me, entertainment product. I mean, that ultimately right. is what this is. It's entertainment. That's a better way to say so, it. Yes, we have to improve our product of entertainment. There's no doubt about it. But I, I will say this. Um, yes, we work for ESPN and we broadcast a game every Sunday. But there are rules here that I don't agree with. So, sure, okay. pace, to me, pace to me as a fan is something I've always been in favor of. It may, it, like, again, you you can sit in a room and we can go back and forth and disagree forever. I'm just not going to be on the side of somebody who's, who, who will blur the lines and say, well, the beauty of baseball is the fact that it takes a while. I'm not dismissing foul balls. I'm not dismissing any of the things that occur naturally on a baseball field to take X amount of seconds between pitches is not natural. That's just become something that people do. They got used to doing it. You can get used to doing it the other way. And I think pace, which has worked at the minor league level, we've seen it at the collegiate level, and we see it all the time with pitchers that pitch with pace. It's a better, more entertaining game. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, because we have these relievers, and, and with the culture of relievers now, they're all brought in to basically throw one inning and to throw their bastard pitch over and over and over. So it's almost like they throw the pitch, they circle behind the mound, they gather themselves, and then they uh, look to execute that again with full force, and then they step off the mound and they gather themselves again, and it's taking 30 to 35 seconds. That's just unacceptable. If you're thinking about watching the game uh, as a fan in the stands, so I, I agree with that change. Uh, I'm going to couple these two together. There is going to be four pitchers, two disengagements allowed from the rubber, including pickoff attempts per plate appearance. Now, there can be a third one. There can be a pickoff attempt. Uh, but if the runner's not out, uh, then there's an automatic ball called. And also, as part of that, the the trying to help base runners, the bases will increase in size from 15 inches squared to 18 inches squared. They're trying to increase action on the bases, Carl. Right. Yeah, look, I uh, the, the, the larger base pass uh, bases, I don't – to me, that's fine. If it, if, if it improves, plays at first, if it allows a player to stay healthy on a slide to second, whatever, whatever the other reasons beyond improving uh, and increasing action on the bases, the, the step-off and pick-off thing, that, like that's become a thing – where when you're at a ballpark, Buster, and some pitcher throws to first, everybody boos. Like, I don't even understand what they're booing about other than to reinforce the first rule, which we just talked about, which is everybody's pissed about the fact that we're throwing to first and the pace of the game is slowing down. <laughs> All right, so let's take the boos, uh, apply them to the first part of the rule changes we discussed, which is a pitch clock. We, we can now 
increase the pace of the game. And if you're going to boo when they throw it over three, four, five times, then you're making the point to the commissioner and the players on the committee. We don't really like that part of this game. Let them take a lead. Let them try to steal. Throw them out at second. Let's get some action. All of these moves are a reflection of uh, input from players, from managers, uh, from executives, and certainly from the fans. Let, let's not lose sight of the fact that these didn't just appear while Rob Manford was sitting on an island and rubbing his uh, genie lamp, and all of a sudden ideas <laughs> came out of the top of it. Like this, this is this is Theo Epstein. This is Raul Abanez. This is a lot of really smart players uh, who are part of these committees, or at least can can give input that this is not just, you know, drafted in a room by a man alone. So yes, you're, you're listening to what the fan base is saying, but again, that one is a little weird that people are going to read. Like, so does a throw over count as a step off? Is it just when the pitcher moves his right foot off the rubber? Like what, what, why is it so complicated? You know, that those are the types of things that I think are going to frustrate people. Uh, and even if they're not frustrated, they'll use it to be frustrated. Like, I don't even understand. There's just too many, too many words here. It's written, it's written in a way that I, I don't even know why they went that way. Just say you can only throw over three times and that's it. So I, I'm fine with that one too. I have no problem with that one. All right, we got about five minutes left. Uh, I'm going to couple these two together. Only two infielders would be allowed on each side of second base, yeah. with four required to be on the dirt or inner grass. Uh, and infielders cannot position themselves in the outfield grass before the pitch is thrown. Uh, I do think that, uh, and I know this, that Rob Manfred, there's a sense of wry amusement over this one, because in your first interview with him, when he became commissioner, you asked him about a regulation against the ship. He said, well, maybe we'll look at it, because, of course, offense was in decline. And then idiots like me jumped on Rob for that response. And it turned out that baseball in general, folks in the game, believe, you know what, the shift will help the sport, or uh, rules against the shift are going to help the sport because we do need an increase in offense and because teams got so good at deploying defensive shifts. What's your reaction to this one? You know, I, I don't agree with banning the shift. I, I will say this. I agree with, with parts of banning of the shift um, because ultimately, you know, you, you can move your shortstop literally to six inches um, to the right of second base, uh, to the left of second base, so he's still on the shortstop side. He's still taking away the hit up the middle. The second baseman can move six inches to the, to the right of second base. He's still taking the hit away up the middle. Uh, what I do like Buster, I don't want, I don't want infielders in the outfield. I, I don't want that, but I've always said right. to you on this podcast, I don't want to, I don't want to take away a manager's ability when it comes to strategy and a manager will use a shift because it makes sense. So again, I'm not giving like a, a black and white answer here. Yes. I think the infielders should be on the infield. I don't think any infielder should be on the outfield grass. And those hits, those line drives over the second baseman head uh, that get caught by the second or third baseman because he shifted all the way over, I don't like that. I have no problem. I'm fine with uh, two infielders on each side. I'm okay with that because I think it's still going to serve the same purpose a manager wants. What I'm glad they are outlawing is having any any infielder's feet on the grass. Uh, that, to me, is is sort of taking strategy to a weird level in a sense. 
I would outlaw four outfielders. I don't recall seeing that, but I would outlaw that too. I think you should have four infielders all where they should be, or at least close to where they should be, and outfielders in the outfield. I don't think infielders should go to the outfield. I can hear Joe Madden saying, I need five infielders, bring them in. I don't even know what this does to five infielders. Can you have five infielders with their feet on the dirt? Is that part of this? So, again, there are, I think, always going to be questions about the new rules. I'm fine with both uh, infielders on each side. I'm glad there's no infielders playing on the outfield grass. Yeah, you cited two two uh, uh, situations which I hope are allowed. Actually, uh, four outfielders. Uh, I w- I would be okay with that because I think there's a clear uh, decision made by the a clear concession made by the defense to say, you know what, we're going to give you a whole le- side of the infield. That to me is okay, and I do hope they make some sort of addendum when we see the final rules that after the eighth inning, if you want to use five infielders then you're allowed to do that. Um, we'll see what the final rules are. Um, and just quickly, Buster, here's my point about why I never really wanted to outlaw shifts or the manager strategy. How many times have we seen recently where um, somebody will lay down a bunt when there's a shift on and everybody says, why don't they do that more often? Like, I don't, yeah. uh, that, that was a part of the game I really liked. That I thought we were heading that way. You did start to see guys go the other way more often, shoot a ball through the vacated spot on the infield. That part excited. Like, I like that. Make an adjustment to the defense. We're just make we're just adjusting the defense, and I, I kind of wish we went a different way. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about all this again on Sunday night with David Cohen and Eduardo Perez. Carl, thanks for doing this. Anytime, Buster. Love to talk rules. We'll see you in Chicago. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus. A Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Michael Kay is the play-by-play man for the Yankees games on the Yes Network, and he, of course, is the half or half of the uh, K-Rod experience on ESPN. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm great, Buster. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that 
Uh, when you guys came up with the name K-Rod, uh, was there any discussion about you, your name going first over Alex Rodriguez? No, there really wasn't. You know, when, uh, when, you know, one of the, the big wigs at ESPN, Norby Williamson called and, and suggested we do this, um, um, alternate cast together. I joked, well, we should call it K-Rod. Now Norby happens to be a big Met fan and he goes, I don't know. That brings up pretty bad memories for me <laughs> because of the reliever. <laughs> And I, I just, it was just a, a goof by me, you know, bringing it up to him. And then like a couple of days later, uh, I got a text from him. He said, all right, so go. That's the name. K-Rod. Alex loved it. So never, never gave any thought. And the fact that Alex signed off on it, which I'm sure he could have said no, um, I, I guess that made it work. But uh, yeah, it's pretty magnanimous of Alex. It really should be Rod K because he's the star of the show. <laughs> Tell me what this has been like for you. You know what? It's been fun. Uh, it really has uh, given me a little feel for the uh, the national end of it. I always wondered that if I could pull that off. I, I've been in New York my whole life and done New York stuff, so I always uh, I had a yearning to do this. And uh, just the guests have made it a blast. Roger Clemens has kind of been a revelation. Um, you know, sitting there doing three innings with Billy Crystal was fun. Paul Simon. Uh, the Derek Jeter thing was dramatic, and I thought, and, and turned out to be uh, pretty interesting for fans, and, and I could tell by the ratings that people really ate it up. So, all in all, it's been uh, a blast for me. It really has. I hope it's been that way for the uh, the viewers as well. Tell me about what you sense in the body language, the relationship between Alex and Derek, because I, I, you know, I worked with Alex in Sunday Night Baseball for years. Um, you know, I watched a replay of that. I, I felt like they were both being polite. I think they were being polite. Uh, I think that um, if, if I could play dime store psychologist, I think that Alex really wants to fix whatever is going on with Derek more than Derek does. Uh, but Derek is the one who showed up. Derek didn't have to show up. There was no contractual obligation. His, uh, his documentary was over. Uh, the last episode was four days before that K-Rod cast. And he flew in from Miami just to do that. So uh, I think the one thing that if you watch that, I, I think that the passing of Gerald, Gerald Williams, his really good friend, has gotten to him. And if you watch uh, episode seven of uh, the Jeter documentary, his wife was saying, listen, you're holding people up to standards that when you were 25, you, you did, and not everybody could be you, and life is too short. And I think that got to him as well. So I, I don't think he wanted that enmity uh, between the two of them for the rest of his life. So I think that this was a little bit of an olive branch, but I don't think they're ever going to go back to the days, Buster, you know, when they were, you know, having sleepovers in each other's house. I just don't think that's, that's in the cards. I think they're in different places in their life. I completely agree with your read on that uh, and their relationship. What did you think of the Jeter doc? I liked it. I, I like it. It was weird though, because I, I don't think it, 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 you know, you came out of it going, Wow. That's great. What, what an awesome guy. I think he got a different look at Derek. And, you know, I'd like to sit down with Derek without a microphone, without a notepad, and just say, you know, what's the end game on doing that? Because, you know, it kind of made him a um, little less sympathetic or um, I can't say likable because he's still a likable guy. But, you know, it, it did show some warts. Let's put it that way. And to what end? You know, what exactly did that do? Uh, you know, a lot of people told me, well, you know, it keeps him relevant. He's relevant. He's Derek Jeter. He's going to be relevant when he's 95 years old. You know, anytime he walks into New York, the love is going to shower on him. But 
uh, it was it was strange, and and it was strange how much they fixated on the Alex thing. I, I guess every single you know kind of uh, movie or documentary needs a um, I don't know an enemy is the wrong word, but they they need a villain, and I think Alex was kind of like turned into the villain there, and Alex yeah. was in a lot of the episodes, and you know uh, I that was a little odd to me because Derek's life is has been so full and rich. I mean, the Alex thing could have been covered in like five minutes, but uh, there was a lot more Alex than I thought there would be. I got to tell you, after watching it, and I, if Derek and I were friends, uh, I would ask him, why are you so angry? Like, you had the greatest life ever. <laughs> he seemed really angry about uh, some of what's been reported. Maybe, I, look, I've never lived in the fishbowl like he has, but I'd say you came through New York. You're a phenomenal player. You're an all-time great. You played hard. You were absolutely great for baseball. You were lauded throughout your career, mostly, okay? You know, a few idiots along the way. Uh, and, yeah, there were some situations that got sticky that maybe you didn't handle the best. But generally speaking, you came through as the golden child. Why are you so mad? Is that – I don't know if you had the same feel I did a little bit. You've known him, you know, even better than I have. Well, it's funny you mention that because, you know, I had most of the summer off on, on my radio show, ESPN New York. But one of the days that I came back, I spoke about that where I think that Derek has had one of the great American lives that we'll ever see. And he's earned it, man. He's worked really hard. You saw yes. Buster, you were along for the ride, but I really believe that he was treated beautifully by the New York press, which sometimes can be harsh and sometimes could be mean, but I don't think he got any negativity at all. But you know, I, I almost the, what the documentary did was allow me to pair Jeter with Jordan and see that people that are great like that, they need something to drive them. They need an enemy. They need a common um, bad guy. And I think that Derek just looked at the media as trying to get him to say things that he didn't want to say, which is what the media's job is even in politics. And that's why I think a lot of the country is against the media because we're trying to find out stuff that the people that we're trying to find it out from well, they don't want it out there. So we're across purposes then, and we become the enemy. And I think Derek just looked at it, and, oh, they're trying to get me to say stuff that I don't want to say, and I just want to concentrate on baseball. I get what he's saying, and I just don't think that New York ever did anything uh, out of the way. Maybe if you want to say the gossip columns and stuff like that, uh, you know, with the gift bag, that, that they brought that up, that was never proven, and Derek was seemed like he was very angry about that. Okay, that's cool. But the sports media... I mean, there's nothing bad to write about Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter wow. was perfect. Derek Jeter was the type of guy that when he, whenever he came to a fork in the road, he always took the right road. Always. And I, I witnessed it that he could have gone left a lot of times, and that would have been the wrong thing, and he always went right. He just had an innate ability to make the right choice. And I agree with you. He came off as a little angry, and I'm wondering, angry at what? I mean, talk about a charmed life. And I'm not saying that he didn't earn it. He earned every second of it. But I thought he lived a beautiful life that didn't have that many dark clouds in it. No, I, I, he gave an answer once about, because I, I would be asked by journalism students all the time, what's it like to cover Derek? And I would say, he's intentionally boring. And, and the way that it came off in the documentary, when I said, you know, he would say nothing, Derek was like, uh-huh, I did it on purpose. And the funny thing was, I was like, yeah, we all knew that. <laughs> we all right. knew why you did it. We all knew why you did it, because you wanted to make sure you didn't create a situation where there was a story that you'd have to answer to, which would take away from what you really love, which is playing baseball. We get it, Michael, right? Right. And, and Derek, uh, again, did everything right. And, 
His focus was on playing baseball, which is great. That's why he has five rings. And that is almost a yin to the yang of Alex Rodriguez. You know, Alex didn't always say the right thing. And Alex always I got know. himself into trouble because I don't think that Derek cared if the media liked him. I think Alex wants everybody to like him and sometimes turned into an amoeba to try to, like, assume the shape of what you wanted him to be. Derek was that guy. And I've said this over and over, and Aiden O'Connor used the line in his book, you know, Derek is the type of guy you could knock on his door, he'd open the door, and talk to you through the screen for three hours. He's never inviting you in the house. And that's cool. Yeah. And, by the way, there's stories about that from teammates. But, anyway, we'll move ahead. Yankees uh, have – it's possible that by the end of the month we're going to talk be talking about the 2022 Yankees is having the greatest collapse in the history of baseball, losing a 15-and-a-half game lead. Based on what you're seeing day in, day out, scale of 1 to 10, level of concern, uh, 10 being that they will lose the division. I think that it's probably a 3. Uh, not because of the Yankees, though. Uh, because of the, the schedule that Tampa Bay has in front of it. Uh, you know, the nine games against Toronto, and Toronto needs those games as well. Uh, then you've got the six games against the Astros, which might be easier than we think if the Astros have everything clinched and then the three games against the Guardians. So that's a little bit of a rocky road um, for Tampa Bay. As for the Yankees, Buster, I don't know how they win games with the lineup that they, they run out right now. And you know, this isn't the team that they envisioned or built, but injuries have ravaged this team. And if you look at it, if you look at the lineup in game one of the doubleheader against the Twins, if Aaron Boone wrote that lineup up, and they were playing the Phillies in Clearwater in spring training, the Yankees would get a disciplinary letter from Major League Baseball because there's not enough major leaguers in it. And every single run, it's like, it's like a bloodletting for them to get a run across, and it just makes it all the more incredible uh, that Aaron Judge continues to hit home runs. It's, just, it's, it's amazing. He has zero protection in the order. Zero. And by the end of the four-game set, it finally you know, clicked into Rocco Baldelli. Maybe I better walk this guy all the time. And I don't know any manager that's worth his, his salary that would pitch to uh, Aaron Judge in a big spot anymore. It just doesn't make sense. Let, let Glaber Torres beat you. And most of the time, he's not going to beat you. Yeah. He has been amazing. And it really has, for me, underscored one of the strengths of Judge that I think any potential uh, bidder in the offseason would look at in that this is someone who seemingly has handled everything thrown at him this year from the contract situation, rejecting the deal, betting on himself, uh, the diminishment of the Yankees lineup around him. And yet he just keeps going along. Before the season started, when we had our first uh, Yankee broadcast, I asked Aaron Boone about, hey, you know, Judge, how do you think he's going to handle this with all the contracts swirling over his head? And Booney looked at me with a smile. He goes, he'll handle it exactly fine. I can't think of many comps for this, uh, Michael, in terms of how he's handling this under all these, all this variety of pressure that he's dealing with. Well, when, when people have been asking me over the last couple of weeks, do you think he's going to feel the pressure when he gets closer to Maris? And, and I go, what could be more pressure than turning down $213 million yes. and betting on yourself? And he has been totally um, nonplussed by it. It's just like he goes out there and he dominates. He compartmentalizes stuff. And maybe he's got a little jeter in him where, you know, he's – He's got enemies in his head, and that drives him. I'm not quite sure. 
because you know Aaron Judge doesn't let you that far inside either, and uh, he's just been magnificent. You know, I've I've covered the Yankees for 36 years, and I've seen a lot of great seasons, including Alex's 54 home run season. I've never seen anything like this. This has been so otherworldly. His ability to perform first with the pressure of the contract hanging over his head, and second, with absolutely no support in that lineup over the last month and continuing to still hit home runs at a record pace. It's, it's just fascinating to watch. Last one for you. Uh, you mentioned the contract. Uh, I get asked all the time how I think the contract negotiations are going to play out, and I mentioned that I think that you know Brian Cashman, given his, his experience with guys like Robinson Cano, uh, like his advice to the Steinbrenner family in 2007 when Alex opted out of his contract, just let him go. I think Brian's going to be really disciplined. I think Hal Steinbrenner's going to be really disciplined. I think they're going to increase the $213.5 million offer. I don't know how by how much. My guess is somewhere in the range of 240 to $250 million. But I don't think if an owner comes in from another team, like from the Giants, and they throw a big number at him that starts with a three, I don't think the Yankees are going to chase that. Michael, what do you think? I would tend to agree with you. I mean, they're very, very disciplined, and they're very, very black and white, although this is a very special case, Buster. It really is because he has emerged as the face of the Yankees. Uh, He might go into this contract negotiation uh, with the American League home run record. Uh, Might finish up with 64, 65 home runs. Uh, Will probably win the MVP. There's going to be a lot of pressure on them because if you don't sign him – uh, well, what do you have coming back next year? They have to go back and make a dynamic move, and there's nobody dynamic that you'd bring in on the free agent market. I don't think the Padres would then put up Juan Soto to trade him after acquiring him. Uh, it would have to be something like that to erase the fact that you lost Aaron Judge. So there's some pressure on the Yankees, but I know that the Yankees are a very, very analytical uh, analytical team, and I'm not going to say they're cold, but they make decisions that are hard that other owners and other front offices will let emotion creep into it. I don't think the Yankees will. So I think the Yankees would probably, and this is just a guess, I think they'd probably push it to eight years, although they feel more comfortable at seven. But if somebody steps forward and gives them a 10-year deal, I think that would be a deal breaker. And I think that they would probably go over 36 a year, but I don't think they'll go to 40. And if there's a guy or an owner out there that wants to go to 40, I think the Yankees would say thank you for your service and move on. And as for Judge, I think that Judge has played this and has shown that his hand is, I want to be paid the most money. And I don't, I don't think there's going to be any um, you know, emotion on his side either. So it's going to be a black and white negotiation, and I'm fascinated to see how it turns out. Yeah, it'll be the most talked about story in the offseason. Michael, thanks for doing this. Anytime, Buster. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a fry D. Bleacher Tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Michael Preston is up first at McP1979. He writes in, with 25 games still to play, do you find it disappointing that 30% of Major League Baseball teams are officially eliminated from playoff contention? Is there too big a gap between the really good and really bad teams? Yes, there is. And that's why I hate tanking. Uh, you know, Taylor, among your <laughs> brethren, uh, Oriole fans, you know, when I said that the, what the Earls are doing was bad for baseball, they totally misconstrued yes. uh, what, I, what I was saying. I'm not saying that the Orioles players are bad for baseball. I'm saying the practice of tanking stinks. 
And so you have all these teams this year who are basically like, you know what? We're going to cut our payroll to nothing. We're not even going to try to contend. And here we are with three weeks to go in the season, and you have teams that are – most of the teams are out. That stinks. It's not good for baseball when you have teams designing failure. That's what we get uh, with the standings right now. Say it with your chest, Buster. I love it. Uh, Mr. Jakey RS at Mr. Jakey RS writes in, okay, yes, the A's should be derided for their small payroll, but they are steadily calling up their prospects and playing youngsters. What's the difference between tanking and being at the start of a rebuilding process, which isn't new? Yeah, so for years, uh, Oakland would turn over its roster, uh, you know, trade guys like Tim Hudson and Mark Mulder, uh, flip their players, Josh Donaldson, and they would bounce back quickly. So they, let's say, win a playoff spot, then make some trades, and then like a year later, two years later, they're back in the playoffs. That's different than tanking. We know that because, Taylor, do you know the last time that the Oakland franchise lost 100 games? Mm, it's been a while. The 90s? Well, how about 1979? Whoa. Okay. So Oakland consistently, under Billy Bean, uh, really worked to try to stay in contention, to try to get guys to play. I would say what they're doing this year is tanking for the first time in years and years and years. And that was an ownership decision. I don't put that on the front office. All right, let's go to Mitchell at Tigers of Detroit. He writes in with the top two AL Cy Young contenders sidelined. Is it possible that Garrett Cole could tend for contend for the award? He leads the AL in innings pitched and strikeouts. Yeah, well, I think it would be down ballot. I would take Alec Manoa over Garrett Cole right now. My boss, uh, Pete Giannisini, he said yesterday, I'm just happy when Garrett Cole gets through an outing without, uh, you know, urinating himself on the mound. So. Wow, that's that's really harsh. That was I harsh. No sign at all. Garrett Cole's an excellent pitcher. He's an all-star. Come on, that's a little deep. All right, last one for the week. Reggie, baseball Yoda Weather writes in Buster with the shift rule. I'm concerned about the reference of four players on the infield, no four-man outfield, and worse, no five-man infield. A common defensive move late in games with a winning run on third and less than two outs. Love the pitch clock and limit on pickoffs yeah reggie you and i are on the same page in that carl and i disagree uh carl disagrees with you and i on that uh i i absolutely uh, w- hope that they allow teams to use a four-man in or four-man outfield in a five-man infield in, in specific situations i don't think five-man infield should be allowed uh before the ninth inning but yeah at some point i love that strategy when there's like bases loaded and nobody out and you you have a guy put the ball on the ground Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets for the week. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games. Check out Sunday Night Baseball instead of that football stuff. I know I, I didn't hype any of that stuff up earlier, so watch that, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, that's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Carl, Michael, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Choose.